Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, it's been wonderful getting to know some of you and hopefully get to know more of you. Uh, something about myself is I grew up in a very small northern Canadian town called Nipigon, Ontario. Is anybody aware of where Nipigon, Ontario is? All right, there's a couple of them. Very good. So that's where I was born and raised. And um, in Nipigon, there's about uh, 2,000 people, and there's not a whole lot to do. There really isn't. So you need to get, get familiar with, with doing things and, and doing them often. So one thing that people in Nipigon do a lot is we fish. We are a fishing people. Nipigon holds the world record for the largest speckled trout ever caught. That's all they've ever really done in Nipigon. But <laughs> so we used to we used to fish a lot. And I had a friend I had a friend named Jonathan who was my, my best friend growing up, and his family um, did not fish. They were they were a uh, very academic, um, studious family, which is great. But that didn't fishing didn't fit into their repertoire. So whenever he went fishing with me, it was a very exciting time. He oh, he'd go fishing and he'd get all riled up and he'd buy better stuff than I had because he wanted to go fishing. So one early spring morning, Jonathan was at my door, 7 o'clock, let's go, let's go. And so we went down to the dock, which is a dock at the, in, at the waterfront in Nipigon, Lake Superior, so a very, very cold lake. And that morning, it was, it's cold up north, there was a thin, thin layer of ice on the water. Now, it would melt by 10 o'clock, as it always did, but Jonathan... And myself, I can't blame him completely. We were two 12-year-old boys. We had a great idea. We said, let's take our heaviest lures we have and we'll smash the ice. And that way we can fish faster. There is no logic in this, if you think about it, for 30 seconds. Because you can't reel a fish in. But we had this great idea. So we put on big salmon lures. Is anybody here a salmon fisherman? Take my word for it. You use really... (laughs) Really big lure. So I used a lure called a Cyclops, and it was about this big, and it had a big, vicious, triple-barbed hook on it. It's vicious. And so we started foolishly smashing the ice with these big Cyclops lures. And then everything went white for a second, and there was a throbbing pain in the back of my head. You, got, you know where this is going. So there's this triple-barbed hook embedded. I still have a scar at the back of my head, in. And because I said Jonathan bought better stuff than I did, he had bought something called spider wire. Spider wire was, it claimed that fish could not bite through it, so neither could Adam. <laughs> and so I've got this very heavy triple barbed lure stuck in my head, and I can't break the line, and so we, my friend Jonathan tries to pull it out of my head. Yeah, and so that's how it felt. And I said, this is going nowhere fast, we, we, we need to go home. And so it was about a half an hour walk home from one end of this small... T- so holding a fishing rod. <laughs> now, it's a beautiful spring Saturday morning. I'm walking home and everybody is doing yard work. And it's a small town. So you're wa- and you're trying to be inconspicuous just walking. <laughs> What's the matter? I'm okay. Come here. Every well-meaning person we saw on the way home and thought they could pull it out of my head. And oh, did they try. And so the whole way home, I'm having people yank on my head, and it's like, it's really in there. I'm like, that's what 
the other guy said. <laughs> and so a very, 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 very long walk home. I'm embarrassed out the wazoo. Jonathan's crying because he says, if my parents know you got hurt, I'll never get to fish again. Don't awe him. I have a hook in my head, people. Follow the story. So I'm walking along, and I finally make it to my aunt's house, which is just down the road from my parents' house. But luckily, my aunt is the strongest lady in the world. So I walk in there, and she has this eyebrow thing she does. What did you do? There's a hook in the back of my Come here. And she... And it's not going anywhere. It's still in there. So she calls my parents. They come down, and... My dad is not concerned about my head at all. He says, son, how do you cast a fishing rod? I said, from the side. How don't you cast it over your head? How did this happen over your head? So I got a lecture before he took me to the hospital. (laughs) So he drives me to the hospital, and so I'm sitting there, and I say, finally, I'm going to get some relief. This is finally going to be out of my head, because I don't like having this foreign object stuck in my head. And so a lady from our church was a nurse there. Mrs. Lumala, and she was a fantastic lady, and she came out there, and she goes, oh, Adam, I'm so sorry. We're going to fix you right up, because I'm still holding the line, because it's so heavy. If it hangs down, it hurts more, so I'm holding it, and she goes, we're going to fix you right up, and she comes in with medical tape, and she tapes it to the side of my face, so I don't have to hold it anymore, so I'm sitting in the waiting room with a Cyclops lure taped to the side of my face with the hooks in my skull. Little did I know, at the very same time, across town, the girl of my dreams was having a birthday party. And somebody rolled and sprained their ankle. And so when one girl rolls and sprains their ankle at 13, all of the girls go to the hospital with her for support. So not only did the girl of my dreams walk into the waiting room, every girl in my class walked into the waiting room and saw Adam with a fish hook taped to the side of his head. And because everybody in Nipigon fishes, they said, what happened? And I said, we were breaking ice with the lures. And they said, Adam, how do you cast a fishing rod? I said, to the side. How did you? Over the head. What should Over the head. So... They originally had to cut it out of my head, this fishing, this fishing lure. And it was a big story, and I had stitches. It was, it was not my finest moment. It was not my finest moment. And I was terrified to go to school on Monday because I did not want to be known as the fish hook in the head guy. You laugh, but that's exactly what I was known at for the next year. And it's like, hey, Cyclops, they called me, which because that was the name of the lure that was in my head. It's okay to laugh at me. It's okay. I'm telling you, I'm over it now. The the scars have healed. But my identity, what people I thought perceived me as, was the most important thing in my life. What I thought people thought of me, what I was represented as, was the most important thing in my life. And I don't think we ever really grow out of that. We can be adults sometimes, and we can put on his face and say, oh, I don't care what people think about me. We really do. I put a lot of energy into what I wore this morning because I wanted you guys to think well of me. I called Garth the first time I came, and what do you, what do you wear? What's acceptable in your church? What image am I going to portray when I'm there? And so we never really grow out of that 
insecurity. We just really get better at hiding it, right? And so when we ask ourselves, who are we? What is our identity? And we, we search for status, and, and I've met some pastors that are easy, like, I, I am now the lead pastor, and that's what they think their identity is. Not Garth, but some other people really get excited about that, that title, lead pastor, and, and we can get excited about these, these titles. But our identity, the thing that defines us, ought to be that we're followers of Jesus Christ. You get me wiring up. I like it. But that needs to be the absolute defining factor in our lives. So if you open your Bibles with me right now, we're going to look at Matthew for a second. Matthew chapter 4. And when Jesus calls his first disciples. There's some interesting language here. So Matthew 4, and we're going to go 18 to 22. You can read along with me. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers... Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. I get these guys. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and followed him. Now, if Adam was fishing with his father in a boat, and a Jewish guy was on the shore, and he said, come follow me, and I hopped out of the boat and swam to him, my dad would think I was lost my mind. But you see, there was a cultural thing was happening here that sometimes we gloss over. When a rabbi, if you were, if you were Jewish, you would grow up and you'd go to Jewish school, Hebrew school, and then the best of the best would go on to the next class, and the best of the best would go on to the next class, and eventually you'd want to like, apprentice under a rabbi. And so what a rabbi chose, who he was going to mentor and bring up and follow, um, they would just kind of always hover around him. And when the rabbi had made his choice, in a very public area, he would stop, and he'd walk up to the person, and he would look at them, and he would say, follow me. And what he was saying was, you're the guy who's going to be my apprentice, I'm going to show you. This is going to be your life now. You're going to be the next generation of rabbi. This is what you're going to do. So when Jesus was saying to these fishermen, follow me, it wasn't saying, come here, I want to talk to you. It wasn't saying, come here for a little bit. He says, come here. I'm going to teach you how to fish for people, and that's going to be your thing. Following me is going to be a lifetime commitment. This is going to be the thing that defines you. And sometimes, when we come to church or when we, we think about Christianity, we can, we can think about maybe ourselves at some point in time or, or people who are like, yeah, I go to church and I love Jesus, but you can see it's not the defining characteristic about their life. You ought to be able to see Christ in people before they tell you that, oh yeah, I'm also a, I'm also a Christian. Right? That line, I'm also a Christian... I don't think should exist. It should be, I'm a follower of Jesus. I also drive a NASCAR. I'm a follower of Jesus. I also cook at a restaurant. It's, it needs to be the defining characteristic of someone. I, I thought it was great. Um, there's an actor by the name of Zachary Levy. Uh, he was in a show called Chuck. 
for a while, and he's going to be playing Shazam in the upcoming Shazam movie. You're excited about it, right? Looks really good. And so he's, he's, a, he's a believer. He's a Christian. And on his Wikipedia page, if you look it up, it says when he goes on to set of a new movie, they said, how do you share your faith with people? And he says, I don't. I don't say a word about it. And inevitably, people come to me and say, Zachary, why do you love the way you love and why do you do the things you do? And he says, I look at them without blinking and I say, because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He wants to be able to say, they'll see Jesus, something different in me and I want to identify that as Jesus, as, as the thing that makes me who I am. And so my question this morning is, are we making Jesus the center of our life or is he something that we are also doing? Are we also a Christian? And so there's a guy in the New Testament named Paul. He was originally named Saul. And he was a guy who was not a believer. And then this thing happened where he encountered Christ, and drastically his life became about Jesus. Everything he did became about serving Jesus, preaching Jesus, planning churches, going, 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Whether it got him in jail or got him ridiculed or got him in trouble, he was about Jesus. So I think he's a pretty good place to go and look for some, uh, some words on what it's, what it's like to follow Jesus. So again, if you turn with your Bible to the book of Colossians, we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 10 to 15, and we're going to see three things that Paul tells us about our identity being in Christ. Three things that we can hold as truth, three things that we can champion, and three things we need to proclaim as Jesus is the center of who we are, as Jesus is the crowning attribute of our identity. So let's read together chapter 2, verses 10 to 15. It says here, And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands, but your whole self ruled by the flesh. He was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Sorry, your whole self ruled by flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working God who raised him from the dead. When you were, when you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So there's a lot going on there. So let's take it apart a little bit. If we just look at verses 10 and 12. It says, and in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith by the working God who raised him from the dead. So, we really belong Christ. We're part of his family. We, 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 he's been, again, not by flesh, we've been circumcised and, and, and we've been made part of this group 
of Christians. Our faith in Christ means we belong to him. As we belong to anything else, we, we, we want to be part of something. And so Christ isn't someone that you visit on a Sunday. Christ is something you, you belong to him. Garth, i got a question for you. Can I ask you a question from the pulpit? Perfect. How healthy and functional would the gathering be as a church if people visited it on a Sunday only? Couldn't function. Would you say that the gathering functions because people belong to the church? No. Would you say it functions because people belong to Christ? Exactly. They belong to Christ, and Christ governs this church, and we're a part of the body of Christ. And we get to function as a church because of that. If we go on to verses 13 and 14... When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. So this is a big one. Not that belonging to Christ isn't a big one, but sin is this thing that separates us from God. By its very nature, sin separates us from God. God made Adam to have fellowship, not me, the other Adam. He made Adam to have fellowship, and then Adam and Eve, they sinned, and there was this divide thrown up between God and man. Sin gets in the way of relationship. And God said, here's how you can make it right. The whole Old Testament is people trying to make it right on their own. And we were unable to do that. So then God came down as flesh. The creator became the creation, which is a mind twist if you think about it. What can we create? A painter creates a painting, but he is nowhere equal to a painting. But God created us, and he came down and became his creation so that he could live a sinless life, which again, God, Jesus was fully God and fully man. But we can't just write off that he lived a sinless life. Like That was an effort. He had all the same emotions and temptations that we did. He was just able to not give in to them. He lived a sinless life, and because he lived a sinless life, he was able to die on the cross as a perfect sacrifice so I wouldn't go to hell when I lied at 12 years old to my mom about cleaning my room. Because that's a sin. As silly as that seems, that separates me from God. And that's not the least of my sins, I'll tell you that right now. But it was one of them. And so there's this thing happening where nailing Christ to the cross gave God the ability, the method that he can forgive us our sins. Forgiveness is there. Now, we need to accept it. It'd be like me giving my wife a present on her birthday. I love giving gifts. Heather, is that true? I love giving gifts. 
If I were to give her a gift on her birthday, and I'd wrap it and put a bow on it, and you do the thing with the scissors where you zzz, and it makes it curly, right? And I give her this excellently wrapped gift. I wrap, okay. And if she said, thanks, hon, and put it on the table, never opened it, it's never really hers. She's never really accepted it. And so there's this forgiveness there that Jesus came and died for us. And it's just, we need, to, we need to accept that. And once we do, once we get in a place where we accept that forgiveness that's freely given, well, we're no longer separated from God. And now there's been some miracles in the Bible. I have a Jewish friend named Steve, and uh, he invites me to his house for Passover every, every year, and we go because it's this relationship that we're building. And he always gets me to read the scripture because he's like, we have a pastor here. He better read the scripture. So we read the story of Moses and the Exodus and all that. And in their literature, they say that Moses parting the Red Sea was the greatest miracle to ever happen. And you know what? Physically speaking, as far as physical miracles go, it's a pretty big deal to take a sea and separate it and make a land bridge so that the Jewish nation can just right away from Pharaoh. But a bigger miracle is the fact that Adam had his sins forgiven and his heart changed and am no longer condemned to hell. Amen? Amen. We get to be part of the biggest miracle of Christ in his forgiveness. And if you go on to read verse 15. It says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, all the power and authority on earth, Jesus said, no, I got it beat. And he triumphed over them on the cross. My understanding is that Pastor Phil is a Colorado Avalanche fan. Do I have that correct? Gives me a big thumbs up. I'll pray for him. <laughs> uh, I, need, I need to disclaimer because this is kind of my first introduction to a lot of you. Not a hockey guy. The last time I watched a hockey game was in 1994 with the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, Doug Gilmore and Felix Potvan. And I, on, I only watched it to impress the girl who later that year would see me with my face taped up um, with the fishing lure. So that was, it's, hockey's a very, very uh, hurtful situation for me. No, I kid. I kid. Um, but Phil, you love watching the Avalanche, and when they start winning, you get excited, right? And when playoff possibilities are happening, you get really excited, and when they get close, it's an exciting thing to watch. But there's always this risk that you might look foolish when they lose with your jersey on when you come to work the next day. Sporting events would not be nearly as fun if there was a guaranteed winner. And Phil can never come to church or to work or to wherever he's going to go and say, you know what, Garth? Colorado Avalanche will guarantee win the Stanley Cup this year. No questions asked. They've already won the victory. Nobody can say that except us. Except the children of God who can say, the battle's won. So we're not really saying, join this fight, we're on the, the good side, we're going to see what happens. We're saying there's a victory that's happened. We want you to just splendor in the spoils of that victory. 
We don't need to live in bondage anymore. We don't need to be slaves to our sin. We need to accept this free gift of ownership and forgiveness and victory. That's right there ready to be given. Right there ready to be given. This is coming from a guy who used to persecute Christians. But when he met Jesus, when Jesus became the key factor in his identity, he's able to recognize that A, he belonged to Christ. B, he was forgiven of his sins through Christ. And C, his victory was already won by Christ. Now that's something I don't think we should tag on as an extra. That shouldn't be something at the bottom of our list. What do you do? Well, I'm a guitar player and I like collecting vintage toys. We're going to talk later, I think. Um, you know, I, I really like films. And by the way, I'm a Christian. Who are you? I'm a guy who Christ loves on a personal, individual level. Forgave my sins. Belong to his family. I'm adopted by him. I'm a forgiven child of God. Amen? The band's going to come up here and we're going to sing a song that declares that. Declares that we are a child of God. So if the band could come up. That was your cue. I'm going to pray quickly as we enter into this song. I'm just going to say, Lord, we come to you today as people that say we, we care what people think and we care our identity is important to us. We wake up in the morning from everything that we do, we say, we wear. Our identity is important to us. But this morning, we want to just declare our identity as you. We want to declare that our identity is a child of God, a purchased child of God, a forgiven child of God, the grace of God only. And that Jesus Christ, you would be the center of our identity. And I am these things because you say I am these things. Amen.